0: Well, this is the season for invitations. Um, lots of invitations that are going out. Invitations to graduations, invitations to graduation parties. Um, there's a few handsome guys up there I got some invitations from for graduation parties. Uh, invitations to weddings is another thing that's coming up this time of year. And uh, I got invited this. I think they, uh, because I'm doing the wedding, they had to invite me. That's the reason I got invited. I, I think I might have been invited if they weren't doing the wedding. But um, So we got invitations to wedding. We got And with the weddings come the bridal showers and the wedding showers and all those invitations. And... And there's something significant about being invited. There's something significant about receiving that envelope in the mail that has your name on and you are the one that is invited to this special event. Um, earlier this, uh, this week, my, my wife and I were invited to go to a graduation event, and um, we knew that there weren't a lot of tickets available, and so to be given one of those tickets made us feel very, very special to be invited to this event. Um, you know, it's a little bit like uh, Charlie when he opened up that yellow ticket, you know, and and, and he had that ticket. He knew he's one of four people that got invited to go visit the Chocolate Factory. And so there's something special about that experience. Earlier this year, I had an opportunity to be invited to a concert over at the Giants Center and um, was invited to sit in a box seat in the concert for this concert. You know, if you sit in the box seat, you get this special lane that you go in, you know, and, and you go right up and you don't have to wait in the long lines. You got snacks there, you know, and then. And, uh, and you get this awesome view of the concert, you know, from where you're sitting, you know, up in that location. And, and even better yet, you don't have to wait in the crowds afterwards. You get this special lane to get out and go home. And so there's something special about those kinds of invitations that come our way. And I don't know, maybe you've been invited to something that's come up uh, recently. Maybe it's one of the things that I mentioned. Uh, maybe it's something else. Um, have you been invited to something recently where you felt surprisingly privileged surprisingly privileged. Maybe you looked around and you're like, wow, that's the whole fam- their whole family and me. How, how did I get invited you know, to that event? Or, you know, I didn't know I was in that circle of people, but they invited me to go. And if you've ever been in one of those situations, there's something about being someone's special guest that gives us a sense of feeling valued, of feeling important. But maybe that's not your situation this morning. Maybe it feels like to you that you haven't been invited much recently. Maybe you are at a place where you often feel like you're the odd person out. The person that's left out. The person that doesn't get invited. The lottery never hits your number or the luck of the draw never comes your way. And you're wondering why. Why? Well, this morning we're going to take a look at a story in which Jesus gives, it a, gives us a glimpse of who gets invited to his table, And if you're a person of faith this morning, I think you might be surprised at the people that get invited to Jesus' table. And if you're not a person of faith, you're checking out, exploring Christianity, and wondering what this whole Jesus thing is all about, I think you might be ex- surprised at who is at Jesus' table. This morning we're going to start a new series for the summer entitled The Parables of Jesus. And, and our purpose here at CCC is that we would become people who love God fully with everything that we have, and that we would love others deeply the way God has loved us. And so part of the way we love God fully is we get to know his son Jesus. And as we get to know his son Jesus, we learn how Jesus lived. We choose to live like Jesus. And, and one of the ways to do that is by looking at the stories Jesus told. Now Jesus told very different kinds of stories. Not the average kind of stories. Not the kind of stories that you might sit around and read your kids when they're going to bed at night so they fall asleep with happy memories. Or Not the kind of stories that are portrayed in the movies where the bad guy always gets caught or killed and the, and the guy always gets the girl. Not those kinds of stories. Jesus' stories were very different. They were very different. Jesus' stories were the kind of stories where you're sitting there listening, not really paying attention, then you're kind of drawn in a little more, and then you're drawn in a little bit more, and then you're drawn in, and all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, it hits you in the backside, and then you're like, wait a minute, he's talking about me. He's talking about me. That's what parables are like. Parables are stories with a the point. They're not necessarily allegories where everything in the story has a meaning, um, but they give us a glimpse about how Jesus viewed life. Because Jesus told stories instead of articulating belief statements. In our culture, in our Western way of thinking, you know, we want a logical, rational, I believe this, and I believe this, and I believe this. Jesus didn't do that. He would tell you a story. And that story would unpack and give you insight into the things that mattered most to Him, into the things that mattered to the heart of God. And they're really extended metaphors to communicate God's truth. There's are stories that are set in the ancient Near East, and so we have to understand that culture and that way of life for them to make sense for us. And one writer I read this week said, the parables are like being invited to a house in a room to sit there and think about the way Jesus views life. And so this morning I hope you will come and enter this house and as you enter this house you will sit and think about the way Jesus views life. If you have a Bible with you, if you would turn to Luke chapter 14, if you have a device with you, you can go to CCC Guest, and I guarantee you it will work this morning. And I have three cheers for that, so uh, guarantee it will work. A very strong signal. We had to turn it down so we didn't give free Internet to all of Reinholds this morning. So, um, but Luke chapter 14, and we're going to look at this story. And as you're turning, I want to read this story to you, and then we'll take a look at the story itself. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I have to go see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm my only way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master said to his servant, Go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. In order to understand a parable one of the most critical things is to look at who Jesus is telling the parable to. Who is the audience? Who are the ones listening? And if you look back in chapter 14, verse 1, you get a glimpse of who the audience is. It says in 14, verse 1, On the Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. And then in verse 3, he talks about the Pharisees and the experts of the law. So Jesus is invited to a dinner with the religious leaders of that community, the religious gurus, the one who kind of had it all figured out, the one that were the most knowledgeable, the most respected, the most looked up to religious leaders, people of that day. And it tells us as you read through that passage that they were attempting to trap Jesus in his words. They were trying to catch him in his words so that they could say, you are disobeying the law and you should not be listened to. They were trying to turn the people away from him. Jesus had already confronted them about the way they chose places of honor, and as they're continuing this conversation, one of the individuals at the table blurted out this in verse 15. He said, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Say, what's he talking about, the feast in the kingdom of God? He's literally referring to something that's written about in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah. and those verse, The verse is going to come up on the screen. Isaiah 25, 6, it says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all the peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. In the book of Revelation, it's described as the marriage supper of the Lamb and this day in which God is going to prepare this elaborate feast and invite all those who've chosen Him to be at this feast, to enjoy a great time of celebration. And so there was a great anticipation of this feast, this time when God would invite all people to be at a table, with him and his son Jesus. But since Isaiah prophesied this some 700 years before Jesus spoke these words, the meaning of this had gotten slightly distorted. say, what do you mean, John? Well, the Old Testament was translated into Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus likely spoke in his day. And in doing so, there was a book called the Targum in which they translated the Old Testament. And when they talked about this feast in the Targum, they said, That feast is where there would be plagues that would be spread out among the people. I don't know about you, but I would rather decline an invitation where everybody is sick at the table. Wouldn't you? I wouldn't want to go to that. A little bit later, a 2nd century B.C. book called the Book of Enoch said that in this feast, that non-Jews, Gentiles, would be destroyed at this feast. Okay, if they're going to kill me at this dinner feast, I'm probably not going to sign up to go. Okay, I'll pass on that one. And then the Essenes, who are very pious Jews who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, they wrote about this same banquet. And they said anyone who's injured, who is maimed, who is deaf, who is mute, who had any imperfections, hearing impaired, or any other blemish would be banned from this event. So do you see what's happened over time? This event that the prophet Isaiah spoke about, there's supposed to be this grand feast, this grand celebration, had slowly had the guest list whittled only down to the select perfect few. so this Pharisee says this. He says, Blessed is the one who will get to eat at that feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the privileged one. The one who got selected to eat there. Isaiah's vision of this great feast of Jews and Gentiles coming together had been altered and limited to a select few. So Jesus, upon hearing this statement, tells this story. Look in verse 16 says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Sounds very familiar to our day, doesn't it? You're having some guests over. You're having an event. You say, hey, are you available on this day to come over? And you get a yes or a no. And apparently he got a bunch of yeses. People said, yes, I can come. Yes, I'm available. Yes, I'm willing to be there. And so he begins to prepare for this feast. And remember, we're living in a day of non-refrigeration. So they would go and they would get the food that they would need. Maybe get some food from neighbors because they had guests coming in. Then they would kill the fatted calf or they would kill the, the goat or the sheep that had been, they had raised for a number of weeks and days and months. And then they would cook that all day long. And so the food was now prepared. And as the food is now prepared, the dinner is about ready to come out of the oven, be put on the table. They say, go, invite everybody. And tell them it's time to come. And as the servant goes out and do that, look what he runs into in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. At first glance, you're like, oh, it sounds like he's busy. But I want you to take a moment and think about it with me. He says, I've just bought a field and now I must go and see it. The first one has a financial dilemma. But let me ask you this question. When do you inspect a house that you're about to buy? Do you inspect a house that you're about to buy before you buy it or after you buy it? Which one? Before. You don't go inspect a house after you buy it. You already bought it. You're stuck with it, you know? I mean, before we, gained, before we bought this property here, we went through it over and over and over and over again and inspections on all different kinds of things. And so we knew exactly what we were getting into. And that's what you do. But this guy says, he says, I bought a house and I need to go and take a look at it. It was no different in that day. In Middle Eastern culture, you would often look at a property and evaluate it for six to eight months. You would want to look at the soil content and find out how the soil, uh, what condition the soil was. You would want to be at the property when it rains so you could see where the water would run off and uh, so you could see where the the runoffs were. If there was terraces on the property, you would want to inspect them and find out what do we have to repair, inspect, build, what do we have to replace. If there were fruit trees on the property, you want to see what was the fruit like, so you might wait through a, a whole growing season so you could see the quality of the fruit, the yield of the fruit, the condition of the trees, how many more years will you have with those trees. There was a lot that went into evaluating a property in that culture and in that day. It wasn't a case in which... You would buy it and say, now let me go see what I bought. You know, like opening up a uh, a box of Cracker Jacks and see what the prize is. That's not what you would do. And so it leaves you a little bit scratching your head and... A legitimate excuse might be if you were, it was time for dinner and you said to your dinner host, I know you prepared this dinner, but I've been evaluating this property for months and the owner hasn't been willing to sell it to me, but he just called me and said, I need you to come over because I need that cash now, so I need you to settle right now. If you can't settle right now, I'm going to the next buyer and I'm sorry, but I can't make it. And then we would have said, that's a legitimate excuse. That one makes sense. But this excuse doesn't make any sense. Not even believable. Look at the second excuse in verse 18. I just bought some oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. When do you test drive a car? Before you buy it or after you buy it? Before, right? At least I hope you did before. What's this rattle? What's this noise? What's this thing? And how does this thing work? And is this thing working right? You know, and... Again, another excuse that doesn't make any sense. Would you inspect a new machine for your business before you purchase that machine? Would you test out a new piece of equipment before you signed a contract or a lease on it? If you were the host, what would you start to be feeling right now after two cancellations in a row with excuses that seem to be highly suspect and hold no weight and be lame at at best? One more. Verse 20. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Getting married is a good thing. Just had a couple get married here, Kyle and Jess, recently, you know. Um, This guest doesn't even ask to be excused. And in that culture, it's as if he was saying, I have a woman in my house and I have to go back and be with her. I don't really have time for you. So you face multiple rejections right now. If you were the host... How would you respond? Some of you would be like, oh my goodness, all this food, what are we going to do with all the extra food? Some of you would be ranting, I can't believe they ditched me at the last minute with those lame, humiliating excuses. See if they ever get invited to a party at my house again. If you're a teenage boy, you might think, wow, there's extra for me. You know, that's a good thing that they aren't here. Some of you might be beating yourself up and wondering why no one wants to come to your party and telling yourself this was a stupid idea. Who ever thought about throwing a party? Some of you, if you're optimistic, might say, well, we'll just have a party with whoever's here and just have a grand time. I don't know how you would be responding at this moment in time. I want you to think about the financial sacrifice that this host has put out. The preparation... You couldn't refrigerate it and keep it for leftovers for the week and you eat the same thing every night. You know, didn't work that way. There was a great loss that you were experiencing because people were not willing to be honest with you on the front side and they made up some lame, stinking excuse. Well, look in the next verse how the master responded. It says the master became angry. He became angry. He was filled with it. He had slaughtered livestock that he spent years raising. He spent time preparing it, and there was nothing to do with it. They didn't even tell him when he invited them that they couldn't come. They stood him up, and he had every right to be furious with them. In that culture, it would be perfectly acceptable for them, him to verbally berate them or for him to disgrace them publicly, like on so, trashing them on social media. You know? It would be perfectly acceptable to do that. He had every right, because of the embarrassment and humiliation, to do that. And when anger rises up out of an injustice that takes place, it drives us to act. And so the question is what will he do? What will he do at this moment in the story? Will he retaliate or choose something different? And what he chooses is shocking. Shocking. He chooses grace. You say, what do you mean he chooses grace? He just went and invited some extra people so the food wouldn't go to waste. That's all he did. I was pretty pragmatic if you ask me. But he went to people that he didn't think about the first time to invite. He went to people who weren't at the top of the list. He went to the people that never entered his radar and said, Will you come to my table? Notice who he invites. The poor the crippled, the blind, and the lame. He sends them out to get people who don't get an invitation to a party, who never get an envelope with an RSVP on it. The ones who couldn't throw a party like this. The ones who just need someone else to help them make it through the day. That's who got invited to the party. Is it no surprise... That they all said, nothing going on for me. I'll be there. I'll be there. Remember I said to you that Jesus' parables give us a glimpse of the way he views life. And he's starting to give us a picture of that. A glimpse that life is not always about what you think it is. And the people that you invite, the people that you think, the people that you expect to be there, they may not be the ones who are ultimately there. And the people that you don't think about right away, the people that slip under the radar, the people that are on the edges, the people that are on the outskirts, they're the ones that will gladly say yes. He goes back to the Master and he said, Master, there's still more room. We still have more space. And notice what the Master says. He says, compel them to come. Compel them to come. You get this sense that the the servant goes out and he says the the master he wants to invite you and they're like no he really doesn't want to invite me I, why would I get invited no he really wants you to come there's food it's ready it's there's a place at the table for you he really wants you there he wants me there why does he want me there i don't deserve to be there i i could never invite him to my table? Why does he want me at his table? He closes verse 25 by turning to the crowd. And this is where he hits them where they're not expecting. Because he doesn't tell us how the last group responds. But look what he says at the end of the story. He says, I tell you Not one of those who were invited. The initial invitees. They won't get what? What does the text say? They won't get what? A taste of the banquet. They won't even get a taste of the banquet. For Jesus, the Messianic banquet was not in the future. It had started now. He was here. And He was inviting men and women and students to come and to have a relationship with him. Not just to know about him and, and to be aware of him and be able to tell other people intellectually about who he was, but to enter a relationship with him. And the Jewish leaders, they knew all about Jesus. They knew all about the prophecies in Isaiah 25. But they forgot some of them, they forgot what he said in Isaiah 56. In verse 6 and 7 when he says this, And the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to them, to love the name of the Lord and to his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. You see, the Jewish people, the religious leaders, they had narrowed the guest list down so low that just a select few were invited. Jesus says, that's not the way I view this deal. That's not who gets invitations to my table. The people you expect to be there, the people who think they've got it all figured out, at the final banquet, you might be surprised, that they're not there. Sure, they got an invitation just like everybody did. What did Jesus say? Whosoever will may come. God so loved the world... And it's available for everyone, but only those who choose to receive it. So the invitation reflects the offer that Jesus has over and over and over again where He says to people of that day and He says to people of this day, Will you come and follow Me? Will you come and have a seat at My table? And He made this offer over and over again and many people listened. Many people took the brochure, took the invitation, I'll think about it, I'll consider it. But very few said, yes, I will follow you. Jesus wanted the religious leaders to know, just because, you, just because you have a document that has the law, just because you have one of these, just because you crack it open occasionally, doesn't mean you're sitting at my table if you haven't accepted my invitation to follow me. You see, Jesus says, if you're too busy, if you're too preoccupied, if you're too worried about earthly concerns, you're going to miss what I have to offer. Those who were ready to sit at His table, they weren't the people you'd expect. They weren't the people who, who had all the knowledge. They weren't the people whose resumes was very good. They weren't the people who could offer anything back to Jesus at all. Their past was littered with heartbreak and sorrow and pain and suffering. And they could not help themselves and they need others just to give them help to make it through their day. Jesus said, if you are self-sufficient, if you are religious, if you are preoccupied, if you have good intentions but there's no action then there's no movement on you to take this invitation, to show up at my table, you might lose the opportunity that's there for you. So as you listen to this story of Jesus... Who do you connect with this morning? Maybe you connect with the religious guy who said, that's going to be sweet when we get to that table. And you're kind of banking on some things. You're banking on the fact that you're a pretty good person. You're banking on the fact that you took time to show up in church on a given Sunday morning with a beautiful day outside. You're banking on the fact that you try to do the good thing Maybe that's what Jesus hit you, blindside you with this morning. Maybe you connect with a person who has to go and take care of his field and you're very preoccupied with many things in your life. Or maybe the person that has to take care of their oxen and, and your business pursuits and all those things just fill up your time in your life. Maybe the person that is tied up to relationships and family and, and your kids and your kids' sports and all those kinds of things just consume everything about your life and yeah, I know there's an invitation and I know there's an opportunity but I, I just don't really have the time and space for any of those things right now. Or Maybe you connect with a person who didn't get the initial invitation got invited a little later. Maybe you connect with a person who had to be compelled. Maybe some of you, someone's been inviting you over and over and over and over again. Because you're just not sure. You really believe them. You're just wondering, what are they trying to sell me? What are they trying to connect me with or get me hooked up on? Who do you connect with in the story this morning? Are you a student with your whole world ahead of you? Finally, school's out and you got the summer and... And beyond the summer and beyond finishing school, a career and a family and, and all the possibilities that are out there for you. And you have to decide, what am I going to do with Jesus' invitation this morning? Maybe you're a young adult with lots of freedom and lots of opportunities and, and no limits in this world and in this life. And you have to decide, what am I going to do with Jesus' invitation this morning? Maybe you're a successful couple and you've got a good home and a good job and and life is going well for you and you, you don't know why but you feel very blessed by God and you have to decide, what am I going to do with this invitation this morning? Maybe you've been struggling and life has not been easy. Life has been difficult. And He has an invitation for you this morning. Maybe someone compelled you to walk through those doors today. And it's been a long, long time since you walked through the doors of any church this If ever. And He has an invitation for you this morning. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears My voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with Me say, John, what do I do with this invitation? I simply say yes to the invitation. We're not encouraging you to say yes to a church, or yes to an institution, or yes to an organization, or yes to a set of rules, but say yes to Jesus. You might not understand all of this and everything that this is all about. But one thing you know is that you can't make it through life on your own and you've been trying. It hasn't been working out too well. And there's nowhere else to turn. And the only place for you to turn is to that invitation to Jesus. Some of you maybe have been invited and you've been holding that invitation. But other things have filled up and clouded this world and this life. And maybe you've set it down. I won't ask how many of you have gotten an invitation to some place and you've stuck it in your calendar or buried it somewhere and you forgot to RSVP until it's a little too late. Anybody had that happen? Happened to me recently. Not to me, but someone else in my family. So. And I wondered, what did you do with the invitation? And I don't want you to walk out this morning not knowing that you are invited to His table. He says, will you come to that table? Because I'm ready and I'm waiting and I want a relationship with you. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross as we sang those songs earlier, and He took on His shoulders the sins of all of mankind, and the Father turned His back on Him because of all of our sin on Him, it made it possible for Him to offer to all of us an invitation to this table. And He says to you, I'll take your penalty. I'll take your pain. I'll take your heartache. I'll take your struggle. I'll take all of this because I want you at my table. So what will you do with this invitation today? I want to invite you to bow your heads and this time in the service we usually give you just a minute or two for me to stop talking, for you just to be quiet, to talk to God, to listen to God and today to decide what you're going to do with His invitation. God, I thank you for this story that Jesus told, because it gives us a glimpse into his heart and the reality that there's a lot of people in life that get invited, but not everyone accepts his invitation. And there's people that will get invited that are surprised by the invitation and not expecting it and... And others that will need to be compelled over and over again before they accept that invitation. So Lord, I pray that we might understand that He's inviting us into a relationship. A relationship with the Creator of the universe. A relationship with the King of Kings. A relationship with Jesus. Father, You know each person's story here today. Some have received this invitation and just like the people in the story, they have gotten busy and preoccupied and other things took up their time and, and kind of drifted away. And still others, Lord, are hearing it for the first time and realizing that's an invitation for me. That's an invitation that I want to receive today. Thank you, God, for your amazing love that offers this to us. In your name we pray. Amen.